Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Many curlers started when they were kids. How did they discover the sport, and why did they stick with it? This is a series where we talk to current and former competitive curlers to answer those questions. In today's episode, we speak to Jenna Bercheski. Jenna Bercheski is a two-time U.S. Junior Women's Champion who will be competing in the upcoming U.S. Mixed Doubles Olympic Trials with her partner, Ben Richardson. In this interview, recorded in the summer of 2021, we talk about how she was introduced to the sport of curling and what sparked her interest as a 10-year-old. We discuss her early competitive days and some of the memorable curling trips she took. Finally, we talk about the creation of the Curler Outreach Program and how it started as a university project to get more kids into her local curling club. Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Jenna, you're a two-time U.S. Junior Women's Champion, and you're going to be competing at the upcoming U.S. Olympic Trials and Mixed Doubles. I want to move it all the way back to the beginning. And the first thing I want to ask is, where are you from and what was it like growing up there? Yeah, so I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, it was amazing growing up at Broomstones Curling Club and um, just starting my life and my junior career out in the GNCC. There's no better place to grow up as a curler. For those people who aren't familiar with Broomstones, is it just is it outside of Boston? I'm just trying to give the listeners a picture of where it is and and what it's what's it like? How many sheets? Uh, can you describe it a bit? Yeah, it's a four-sheet club in Wayland, Massachusetts. And I believe a lot of people would tell you it's one of the most beautiful clubs in the United States that they've played at. Um, one of the kind of famous aspects of the club is actually the Scottish carpet um, inside the club. And I think that's one of the most well-known features. So how did you get first involved with the sport of curling? The, the, who, who brought you into the club in the first place? My dad got me started. Um, I'm a third generation curler and my um, grandfather started curling and my dad and then my brother and I started curling. It spread throughout our entire family. Um, actually, our whole family is four generations of curlers, which is pretty amazing. And we even had the opportunity to put together a four generation team at one point, including my grandmother, my dad, um, my half brother, as well as his daughter. Can you sort of put it in the timeline for me? How old were you? What what year are we talking about when you got started? Yeah, I got started really young. And um, I actually left the sport for a little while. And I came back around the age of 10. And it was around 10 that I decided I wanted to get competitive with it. Uh, what What motivated you to come back? My family. My brother was playing on a competitive junior boys team and, um, you know, being brought to the club to watch his games and to see him and his boys team play and travel around with them. It definitely 
reopened my interest in curling. Well, maybe I asked the wrong question first. Maybe it was, why did you quit curling in the first, the first time around? Um, honestly, I think it just had to do with being so young and, you know, I think that I wanted to spend my Sundays playing with my friends rather than, (laughs) uh, rather than being taken down to the curling club. So, you know, it was just, um, the initial introduction to curling, I think was a little bit pushed on me at first. And then, you know, around the age of 10, I kind of decided it was something that I wanted to do. What was it about 10? Was it just the com- the competition? You, it, what, what, what was it that brought you back at 10? Sorry, it, I, I might be asking it again. I just wanted to get it back on track here. So, yeah, um, you know, going with my um, brother to, and watching his competitive junior team play and travel around really made me interested again. But, I mean, on top of that, too, I made a friend in curling, and I think that was one of the first things that kind of got me to get back out on the ice was, you know, just making friends with somebody and knowing that I was able to hang out with her every weekend um, and go curling with her. Oh, who is she? What's her name? (laughs) Uh, Her name was Lily Wadsworth. And uh, we actually went to our first junior national championship together. And uh, she stopped curling after that. But, you know, she definitely is what got me back into the sport. Let's start at the beginning. I mean, was it something that you picked up easily or was it something, did you slide down the ice pretty quickly (laughs) or is it something you had to really work on? Um, You know, I think it's a mix. It's something that was relatively easy to pick up only because there was a lot of curling talk going on at home. Um, You know, coming from a family of curlers, I already had a basic understanding of the game. But when it came down to, you know, getting my mechanics right in my delivery and learning more about strategy, I mean, yeah, it took some work. Like who were some of the people that helped you along that path? Uh, were there any coaches or instructors from the club that helped you? Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad was obviously a very big influence in helping me and um, he you know, connected me with a lot of the right people, uh, including Keith Dropkin was one of my first coaches who really pushed me um, from a technical aspect. And, you know, he helped me pretty much become the athlete that I am. I mean, you know, he took what was a love for a game and showed me how to, how to become an athlete using it. Uh, I mean, you started curling competitively. I'm assuming I like mean a lot in a lot of cases for juniors they start playing bond spiels and maybe they uh, form a team and uh, participate in their I don't know what the equivalent is in the U.S. zones regions to get to the national level is, is that the same path you were taking? Yeah, so um, when I started playing juniors, it was uh, regionals that we had to play down in, and that was exactly the path that I took. You know, I I mean I played down for many years before I ever made it to my first junior nationals. And, you know, it was a lot of losing, (laughs) losing (laughs) a lot of games before I ever made it there. But once I did, I mean, it was, it was worth it all. Despite the losing, you, you were motivated to keep going? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that the motivation to improve um, is really what can drive you. Oh, what what kinds of things did you want to improve? Was it something in your own game or 
maybe I don't know what what was what was it you wanted to improve? Yeah, I mean, I want to improve my own game, but I think at the end of the day, you know, a person can only improve their own game so much. Um, it's the team. The team had to, you know, work together, had to become stronger, had to improve together. And, you know, becoming a stronger team is what allows you to be a winning team. Do you remember some of your first uh, bond spiels, maybe even the first trip you took outside of your club to, to go to a bond spiel? Yeah, I think, uh, I think some of the first bond spiels I ever played in were Definitely in uh, the GNCC, um, there was, you know, the Broomstones Juniors and there was a bond spiel up in New Hampshire. Um, but probably one of my most memorable bond spiels is down on Cape Cod. It originally started off as a junior camp um, that they ran every summer. And now they run a junior bond spiel every summer. And, you know, after traveling all over the world for curling and playing in national and world championships, I can say with all honesty that the Cape Cod Junior Summer Spiel was one of my favorites by far. Okay, well, well tell us a little more about it. Uh, how many kids, where are they coming from? Uh, yeah, tell us a little more about what made it special for you. Yeah, so I think one of the things that made it special was it started off as a relatively small spiel that, you know, kids from the GNCC would go to. And the word got out. The word got out real quick. We had kids coming down from Canada, uh, flying in from, you know, Seattle and the Midwest. And all of a sudden the spawn spiel grew. And I think the really amazing thing about it was no matter how big it got, you know, we had kids who were only 12 who were starting off learning how to curl and wanting to get competitive, playing against kids who had already won several national championships and had already played at world championships all playing in the same event, all playing against each other. And, you know, the competition was great, but everybody was friendly and everybody just is there for a good time. Um, you know, one of the one of the perks to playing on Cape Cod is, especially in the summertime, you get to go out and play some games and then you get to go to the beach after. Um, but the community at the Cape Cod Summer Spiel is by far one of the most unique features of it. I don't think there's many spiels where you go and you play against kids that you've never met before. And then afterwards you all, you know, go outside and play catch with a football or you all take a walk down to the beach together. And, you know, you've never met these kids before, but just because you're all at the spiel together, you're just immediately all friends. Do you still keep in touch with any of those people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have, um, you know, I mean, Facebook is definitely the easiest way to connect, but there's people that I've met at the Cape Cod Summer Spiel who are up in Canada. Um, there's people that I've met there who, you know, are playing all across the country and definitely life, lifelong friends from there as well. Well, maybe I'll switch now to, to as you grew in the sport, you, you had the chance to coach and teach kids yourself, I guess, starting at your home clubs or your your club's uh, Broomstones, and you're in Wisconsin now, right? Yes. Eau Claire? Yep. And, and you are involved with the Eau Claire, Eau Claire Curling Club. Tell me what it's like being on one side of the coaching equation, and now you're, now you're the coach. What is it like being the instructor 
and teaching the kids? Well, it, uh, it definitely gives me some appreciation for instructors that I'm not sure I had when I was a kid. Um, you know, I, I mean, I love working with kids and I think that, I think one of my favorite parts about working with up and coming juniors is seeing the spark, seeing the kids that are so motivated and so driven and they just want to improve and they're ready to soak in every ounce of information that you give them. And it's just really amazing to see that in kids. Um, so I was just coaching actually at the Blaine Jr. camp um, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, they had the camp wrap up just a little bit early on Sunday and I hung around for a little bit and every single sheet was full after that camp. The number of kids who were just starving to get back out on the ice, even after a long, grueling camp that was, the camp was exhausting. I mean, they had the kids, you know, going nonstop, start to finish every single day. And even when the camp concluded, there were so many kids that were just right back out on that ice. They were, you know, wanting to keep throwing rocks. They were looking for instruction. They just wanted to keep, keep going. They weren't ready to be done. Now, this is the camp in Blaine, Minnesota at the, is it the Four Seasons? I always confuse them. Yes, the Four Seasons. The Four Seasons Curling Club. And it's put on by the U.S. Junior Curling Association. And I, I, I got that right. Correct. Yes. How did you get involved with teaching in that camp and, and, and describe it for me? Like how many kids, uh, how many days, uh, who else is there? Uh, who else is instructing? Yeah. So, I mean, I got involved coaching in the camp, honestly, because I attended the camp when I was a junior and, you know, I knew after attending that camp that I had always wanted to help out there. Um, it was just kind of a matter of, you know, chatting with the right people and, um, I ended up coaching there with uh, one of my teammates, Maya Willards. So the two of us did instruction all week. And the camp was really cool because it was actually focused on teams rather than individuals. So you had to sign up with uh, teams that you, you know, either were looking to become competitive with or teams that you are currently competitive with. And then the majority of the focus was, you know, working on team systems and scenarios and, you know, shots by position and stuff like that. Just so that way it was a little bit less of a focus on the individual and more on the whole. Over the phone, we had a previous conversation and you mentioned uh, a young woman who was looking for feedback about her slide and, and you got another coach to look at it. Could you tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there was a young girl at camp who was skipping her team. She plays out of Chaska, Minnesota, and she was asking me for um, instruction on her delivery and, you know, things to change in her slide. And, and I was looking at her slide thinking that, you know, it looked really good and there really wasn't anything that I would change in it. So, you know, to kind of help her out a little bit because I know how frustrating it is as a player to hear, nope, you're doing everything right. Um, I called uh, Dave Jensen over who is, you know, a well-qualified coach in the U S and he went out and he worked with her for, you know, a good 30 minutes and he came back into me and he was so excited because he took her delivery 
And uh, he took a video of it and put it side by side with the delivery of Becca Hamilton. And the two of them were, I mean, it looked like the same exact slide. It was a mirror image. Um, So, you know, it was really cool to see this, how, how interesting this girl slide that she's, she slides exactly like Rebecca Hamilton. And, you know, it was really exciting for her as well to, you know, go from being told, nope, everything looks good to all of a sudden her slide is being compared to an Olympian's. Right. It's, it's not just good enough to say you're doing good, right? (laughs) That's good. It's almost as important to say, you know, this is why it's good or here, look at someone else who's doing it well. You're doing it the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Jenna, are there any challenges coaching young people? Are there any particular ones that you have at that age? I think that one of the only challenges there really is, is, you know, sometimes, sometimes feeling like there's something that they need help with that you aren't the person to help them with. But, you know, I think in those scenarios, it's important to be able to recognize within yourself that you don't know the right answer. And, you know, being able to guide them to somebody who can help them is one of the most crucial points. Um, I mean, with the girl we were talking about who has a slide just like Rebecca Hamilton, you know, she kept asking me and I didn't have an answer for her and I didn't know how else to help her from there. So being able to pull in somebody who is able to give her that instruction and able to show her, you know, just what she's doing and, being able to recognize that there, there are other people who are going to be able to see things that you can't, I think is one of the most challenging parts of working with juniors. Are, are there coaches either at this camp or outside of camp that you look up to? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of coaches and a lot of places that I look up to. I think, um, you know, I've had a lot of really great coaches throughout my junior career, especially. Um, you know, starting with Keith Dropkin, who was one of my very first coaches. Um, Bev Schrader was my coach for uh, two junior world championships, and um, she's since passed. But she was somebody that I have and always do look up to, um, as well as Dara Bladford, who, you know, was my coach the past couple years. And she's actually from um, Cold Lake, Alberta. And, you know, I think just... I think coaches who are able to recognize something in you and who are able to help push you to be the best that you can be are worth looking up to. And and those coaches you mentioned did that for you? Absolutely. Every single one of them. I I have to mention that uh, for Bev, they named the bond spiel at the camp after the camp in in her memory. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Well, Jenna, I want to ask you also about the uh, a project you were working on. This is going off in a different direction now, but something, I guess, similar when it comes to educating curlers. It's the Curler Outreach Program, which you helped co-create. It's funny because I think some people in the curling community recognize the Curler Outreach Program for their great series of webinars and and the educational resources and and the different people that that you bring uh, to 
the internet, <laughs> I guess the internet, and, and, and we were all able to learn from. But I wasn't aware of the actual origin of the, of the group until uh, I read your latest newsletter. Uh, and, and so I wanted to go back there, and it, it ties into the Coaching Kids Curling, uh, uh, the title of my podcast, because it literally was a project to get more kids into a club. So uh, could, you, could you tell us about how it started this, I guess, as a university project and, and, and how it was meant to get more kids into a certain curling club? Absolutely. So the curler outreach program actually began at um, the uh, University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, in one of my organizational communications classes. Um, it was a semester project. And the goal of it was to do exactly what you said, to increase the junior membership at the Eau Claire Curling Club. It was, um, it was my goal to bring curling out into the community. And, uh, you know, we worked really hard to portray a specific image when doing that. So we had um, a series of presentations set up at multiple different schools in Eau Claire. We... Um, got our presenter, uh, Corey Dropkin, came along and he did the presentations and talked to all the kids about curling and just, you know, got everybody really excited about the sport. And from there, we uh, hosted a Learn to Curl where Corey was um, there teaching kids how to curl. And so, you know, it was, it was our intention of, you know, getting kids really excited through these presentations and then bringing them out onto the ice right after and you know, seeing if we couldn't help increase the membership at the Eau Claire Curling Club. Oh, what was the situation with the juniors at that club before you started this project? Was Were there a lot of kids there? Uh, I'm just trying to get a picture of where you started from. Absolutely. So, yeah, we, have, um, we had a fair number of juniors um, at the club. You know, coming from Broomstones in Massachusetts, I have personally seen massive growth in junior curling out there. Um, when I first started, there were not that many junior curlers. Uh, and then um, a man named Scott Price took over the junior program at Broomstones, and he grew it to be, you know, I, I wish I had an exact number for you, but well over 100 junior curlers at Broomstones. Wow. And, I mean, it was really incredible how well he did this. Um, so, you know, coming into Eau Claire and seeing the number of juniors, although it was, you know, a decent number, I looked at it and thought, I wonder if we could make this program bigger. The kids themselves, I mean, this is a Midwest uh, city. <laughs> I had to go on Google Maps to sort of locate where it was. And I, I think uh, it's just east of Minneapolis. Is that yeah. fair across the the state border? Yep, just across the border. Were the kids familiar with curling? Did they know it? Or did some of them curl? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the kids were familiar with the sport, but honestly, I don't think a lot of the kids saw it as a sport that requires um, athleticism. So, you know, bringing in somebody like Corey Dropkin, who you know, really values the athletic aspect of the sport and, you know, was really able to display that in front of the kids, I think was huge. Um, we did have a couple kids there who 
already curled at the Eau Claire Curling Club, just a handful. And I think for them, it was even more special to see somebody that, you know, they've probably already heard of and honestly probably idolize a bit, come into their schools and talk to them about their sport. And so you organized, uh, learned to curl at the club after these, um, after these in-school uh, presentations? Yeah. So we had a learn to curl that Corey came to and, you know, he did a lot of the instruction at, um, as well as some amazing volunteers from the Eau Claire Curling Club. And, you know, I think we, we got the kids really excited during the presentations that we were able to get some of them down to the curling club the next day. Oh, okay. Right. I I think that was something you mentioned before that it was important to strike while the iron was hot, as they say. So not to delay that excitement and then getting them right into the club. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking of my listeners and, you know, a lot of them are in a position where they want more kids into their programs and they're always wondering about different ways to do it. You think this is a model that other clubs can use that, uh, you know, maybe finding a, uh, and it's funny because the original name of your project was the celebrity, celebrity curler outreach program. And, you know, I guess Corey in, in essence was your celebrity. Is this something, a model that we, other clubs can use to try and drive more, uh, kids into their junior programs? Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, actually the original intention of myself and uh, Allison Wiedenbeck, who uh, helped me kind of co-found this program. Our original intention was to create this so, you know, it was able to be transferred from club to club. And we considered Eau Claire um, in a way a pilot program. And we were actually looking at running the program again at a different curling club in Wisconsin. Um, You know, Along the same time frame that we were trying to get all of this solidified, unfortunately, we hit a global pandemic, um, which is sort of where this project ended up morphing. It became, you know, we were trying to bring information to kids on curling, and then all of a sudden it turned into, well, why don't we try to bring more information on curling to people who don't otherwise have access to it or, you know, people who are just hungry for that information while they can't be on the ice and everybody's, you know, locked inside during this pandemic, um, which then became the, uh, the curler outreach program. Funny enough, I was there last night for the building, uh, junior programs webinar. And by the way, an incredible, uh, information-packed webinar, and I'd recommend it to anyone who's listening uh, as soon as that recording's available. But uh, full credit to the Curler Outreach Program. You've shared a lot of information and resources. And actually, it's it's funny because, I mean, I'm, call, I'm talking from Canada here, but you have a lot of, uh, of American perspectives and, and international ones as well. So, I, I, yeah, I just wanted to say that you're doing a great job and uh, yeah, keep the, keep up the good work. I, I, I just want to get back into the, uh, to the original celebrity curler outreach program and, and that, uh, that project. I, I guess this is a more broader question than just that program, but for, for people who are trying to attract more kids into their junior programs, uh, do you have any advice? Do you have any 
tips that based on what you've learned from that original project, you'd want to share to uh, people listening? You know, I think that what we found with the Celebrity Curler Outreach Program was we wanted to find an aspect of curling to get kids excited about. You know, it wasn't just come try out our sport. It was one particular aspect was, you know, worth getting excited about. And that's where we put our celebrity, you know, um, that's where we had Corey kind of come in and he got kids really excited and signing autographs and things like that. Um, And I think that that is what, is important. I think there needs to be one specific thing or person that draws the kids into the club, which, you know, then of course leads to how do you make kids stay? And I mean, from there, I would say from my own personal experience, you know, getting kids to sign up in groups and sign up with their friends is probably what's going to make kids stay in curling. Is that what made you stay like originally? Absolutely. You know, I think coming from the perspective of somebody who joined curling and then left for a little while and came back, it was my friends that made me stay. You know, I mean, I I eventually found the drive to improve and to, you know, want to win. Um, But it all started with the friends, you know, with the community there and just the welcoming um, people in curling and yeah, spending weekends at bond spiels with your best friends. I'm just going to ask you, do you have any particular stories? Any, I was going to say crazy stories, but you know, those, those times of being a young person and traveling to bond spiels. I mean, you've already talked about Cape Cod, but how about maybe even your first junior nationals? Uh, do you remember where was it and, and how did you feel attending this first national championship for you? Yeah, so uh, my first junior nationals was in Seattle, Washington, and uh, that was quite the jump to go from (laughs) Boston over to Seattle. Um, You know, I mean, all I can say is the memories from my first nationals really came from the people I was there with. You know, it was um, my good friends, uh, Allison Howell and Lily Wadsworth and Christine McMakin, and uh, we actually added a fifth to our team, which this is a little bit of a funny story. Um, None of us had ever met her. She was a girl who played out of Wisconsin. And, you know, we were given this recommendation by somebody else, you know, when we kind of said that we were looking for a fifth. And so at a, you know, we got to our hotel, we we called her up, we asked her if she wanted to come to nationals with us. And, you know, of course she was... (laughs) to come to nationals. So we got to our hotel and it was late. We all went to bed and, you know, at probably midnight, one in the morning, uh, she arrived and uh, she walks into our hotel room and, you know, everybody's asleep and she climbs into bed. We wake up at the next morning and introduce ourselves to her (laughs) before. And um, you might know her. A lot of people might know her as Madison Bear. And I played for many years after that. Um, We attended couple junior worlds together. We've played in women's together and it started from her walking into a hotel room with two, a bunch of girls that she had never met before. That's the beauty of this sport sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, well, speaking of competitive curling, you know, last year you joined up with team Seneca, mm-hmm. but, uh, because of the pandemic, uh, 
some things have changed. Uh, could you tell people what your, uh, I guess, current competitive situation is? I, I know that uh, uh, you are uh, going into the Olympic trials for mixed doubles, but uh, what about uh, the regular women's curling? Uh, what, what's your situation there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, right now I play for Team McMakin. Um, we are trying to qualify for the uh, women's Olympic trials. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a kind of a unique situation because although I joined Team Seneca, um, I guess that was last year, <laughs> I joined Team Seneca, we are actually still working together as a team. Uh, Stephanie, Amelia, myself, and Maya, we... Uh, you know, we do our weekly calls. We have hired on um, sports psych and a personal trainer for our team, as well as our coach. And so, you know, we're still making a lot of progress as a team, even though we haven't been on the ice together. But uh, for the current time period, you know, because we're the the goal is the trials, right? So right, right now, um, myself and Maya Willard, who's also a member of Team Seneca, uh, we ended up playing with Team McMakin at the Women's Nationals this past, uh, I guess it was two months ago. And um, yeah, and so we're working at qualifying for the trials with Team McMakin. Um, but then on top of, you know, all the, all the women's curling, I'm also playing mixed doubles with Ben Richardson and we were able to clench our spot at the Olympic trials through our uh, run at nationals. And so, you know, we're just practicing and playing in as many events as we can, even though there are not many to be played in, in the U S right now, but we're trying to do what we can in order to prepare. Hey, Jenna, good luck. Uh, yeah, it's ex- exciting times. And ever since curling became an Olympic event, you know, that seems like every competitive team, uh, you know, their lives revolve around every four years or, well, you know, pandemic uh, notwithstanding. So, yeah, I, I wanted to end off with the uh, the question I've been asking all of the uh, all of the curlers in this series about, you know, how they discovered curling as a young person. And uh, I'm going to ask you the big question. So here goes. So how do we get kids to fall in love with the sport of curling? and get them to stay with it for the long term? You know, um, put a lot of thought into this question. And half jokingly, half seriously, I think one of the best ways to get kids to fall in love with the sport is to send them to a place like Cape Cod. Um, You know, and it doesn't have to be Cape Cod, but the environment, being able to facilitate an environment where, you know, everybody is able to have fun and just to hang out and be friendly. Um, You know, I mean, at the end of the day, curling is a sport. It is competition, but you should be able to have fun while you're on the ice and while you're off the ice, you know, with your teammates and with your competition. And so I think that's one of the best ways to get kids to fall in love with the sport. So you're telling me I should send my little rocks over to Cape Cod next season? I mean, I absolutely support that decision. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; it'll be the coolest trip ever. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it, at that at that age, they're they're happy to go to like 
you know, the five kilometers over to the nearest curling club <laughs> and just meet the kids over there. But uh, I hear you, Jenna. That's, uh, that's uh, a, a fantastic point you made there. And it, it obviously uh, is, uh, you know, still in your memory. So it, it just goes to show you uh, how those moments, even early on in a curling career, can, uh, can uh, affect you even to this day. So, yeah, Jenna, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Um, if people want to uh, follow you, find out more about what you're up to or, or get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Jenna underscore Bercheski. Otherwise, you know, always happy to accept a friend request through Facebook. Excellent. Uh, I'll make sure that uh, that information's in our show notes. Okay. Well, uh, Jenna, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you very much for having me. So that was my interview with Jenna. Jenna and her partner, Ben, will be competing in the U.S. Mixed Doubles Olympic Trials this coming week. I wish them the best of luck. Now, if you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.